So we're excited. We are starting a new series called Chosen People Royal Priesthood. Woohoo! So exciting, right? I know, I'm so excited too. So today's message in this series is called Peanut Paradigm. It's good, right? I know, it's great, good stuff. So you'll, you'll understand that later. But last week, how many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. Hi, so I can see you. How many of you are here? Good. Awesome. Last week, we had a really awesome, powerful testimony Sunday. Really awesome, powerful. That's a lot of adjectives. We had a really good day. And Jane Miller shared a word that the Lord had been putting in her heart. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play that for you in just a second. But just to preempt that, I want to affirm the word that God gave her. It's what God has been speaking to a lot of us for the last few months, maybe even the last couple of years. Do you feel a move of God coming? I can remember when we did the inReach three years ago, and we were like, we've got to get the house ready. Do you remember that? Any of you that were still with, or were still with us? <laughs> and, and I just think that it's kind of this looming feeling that God is getting ready to do something really, really awesome. But he's always ready to do something really, really awesome. Amen? Like, I don't want a revival to come and it just come and go. How about you? How many of you would love to live in the state of revival every single day for the rest of your life? And you can say, yes, we were that generation. We were in that move of God that never ended. Woo. A chosen people, a royal priesthood. That is who we are. So Jane gave this word, and I want you to hear it. I want you to listen to it. We're going to take time right now, and I just want you to focus in and listen to what she has to say, what the Lord delivered to her heart. And I want to tell you that Jane is one of the most humble people I know. And she loves Jesus, and she holds on. She doesn't always just blurt out a word whenever she hears something from God. She waits. She prays. She asks him for when is the right time. She lets the Spirit speak to her to let her know that this is the time. And so last week, this is the word she delivered to us. Go ahead and play that. This word has been burning in, from, in me for months. And I, what I sense is God wants us to begin to prepare ourselves. And he gave me the food pantry as an example the men come at 6 a.m. to take the truck to Akron to get food. The crew is here at least by nine to unload and to begin to sort through things and get things ready for the food pantry, which opens at 1.30. The doors open and we begin at two to four to serve the people. It's a well-oiled ministry. Faithful volunteers, and each of them know their place. Each of them know what they are supposed to do. And he gave me this example. Pastor said sometimes the people start lining up there at 10.30 in the morning, which is ridiculous because we don't open the doors till 1.30. But what if, when we open the doors, 
nobody was at the registration table? What if the rest of us volunteers were just standing around talking and having a good, good time? There's no food out here. Do you think those people would stay very long? They'd turn around and probably never come back again, wouldn't they? God is calling us to prepare our hearts. God is going to send revival. God is going to send a great awakening. There's no doubt about that. We don't even have to pray about that. But we have to prepare our hearts. Time and time again, even John Walton, when he was here, quoted um, 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. At first I thought we were supposed to form a prayer group. I don't think so. This is going to be individual. This is gonna be between you and God. Me, humbling myself and praying and seeking his face to know what part I'm going to have in this great revival. We have some wonderful ministries set in place already in this church. But I really sense that God wants a whole lot more. And I'm, I'm asking you, as you seek his face, he's going to give you creative ideas. And you bring those creative ideas to Pastor Travis and Pastor Leslie. And I guarantee you, if it's from God, they're going to make a way. We are going to have people walking through those doors that we just can't imagine. And are our hearts ready to receive them? Are our hearts ready to see, receive them if they don't smell good? If they don't look good? If they don't talk good? God is going to bring us a great awakening, a great revival. The question is, will he be able to filter people into this church? He's going to do it. But will he be able? Are we prepared enough that he can flood the doors of this church and bring people in? Mentor them. Mentor them. Help them grow. so they can become citizens of the kingdom of God. So this is an individual decision. And I think for me, for me, God said it's serious time now. So I pray that you will pray and seek God and find out what he wants you to do so that when those people flood in, 
we can meet their needs. They're hungry, just like the people of the food pantry. They're hungry, but they're spiritually hungry. They're starving, and they need food. Thank you. Jesus, I pray today over this valley, and I pray that there would be such an awesome time in your presence in every house in this valley. Jesus, I pray that today more people would come to know you in this nation and in this beautiful world that you have created than any other day in history. Let it start today. Let us be marked today to walk as a royal priesthood, as a chosen people, to bring people to you, to know you, to love you, to know they are so loved and so wanted and so desired by you, the creator of the universe. Let today be the beginning. Let it be a time where we can look back in history and say, more people came to Jesus on that day than any other day before it. And let it happen every day after today. In Jesus, for your mighty name we pray. Amen. On Monday afternoon, Trav and I were at Network Conference, and all of the stuff with Jessica happened, and so I um, kind of skipped out on this afternoon sessions and business and went and took a nap, and as soon as I laid down, I felt Holy Spirit say, priesthood of believers. That's what you're supposed to talk about next, the priesthood of believers, for you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You're not just... Christians. You're not just religious. You are chosen. You are royalty. And Travis is going to get into that. I don't want to steal his thunder, but I'm like, cool. Thanks, Jesus. And I went to sleep and slept for three hours. Praise God. Needed that nap. Sometimes you just need to rest, right? And so I, I thought back over Jane's word, and, and I was thinking about her word when I got that word. And I was thinking about how individual and how personal this call is. That it's not just if the church would do it, if the church would get its act together, if we could just do this, if we could just do that, but then we don't do anything at all. No, you are the church. I am the church. I'm not just speaking to you or at you. I'm speaking to us. We are the church. We are the ones that he has gifted and, and honored to say, give them my love, give them my word, tell them I want to save them. How cool is that? It's in our hands. It's individual, it's personal, it's intimate. And every single person in this house, from baby to 90, I don't know who's the oldest person in the house. It doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter where you are in life, you have a divine destiny. Did you hear me? You have a divine destiny. Isn't that cool? That you're just not on a blob in the middle of nowhere, just existing to get through this life and to die and it to end? 
that you have a divine purpose, a divine destiny, and I want to speak into, we want to speak into that destiny this morning, and we're calling it out. He is calling it out inside of you. It is so exciting what God has next for the church. And I just kept praying that prayer this morning. Lord, let this be the first day of the biggest harvest and the next and the next and the next. How cool. More people, more people, more people. The, thing, the number counter things that they have online are just going. Grrr. Yes, yes, yes to Jesus. How awesome is that? And everyone you come in contact with is like, what in the world do you have? I want it. Right? It's your turn. I, I got to stop. I'll be back. So when I was in college, um, the chair of our music department was speaking with us one day. And um, I was a music major in school. And so obviously practicing your instrument was kind of a requirement. And each music major would have a primary and a secondary instrument. So my primary was voice. My secondary was piano. And so right up front, they told you that you needed a minimum of five hours per week per instrument. So you do the math. That is a minimum of 10 hours spent each week practicing, preparing. That's a lot for a minimum. I mean, how many of us spend 10 hours a week practicing anything except our phones, right, social media? We're professionals at that. Um, And he said this statement to me that was so profound, I've never forgot it since then. Or to the class. Now, it was pertaining to music, but he said, it's not about the will to succeed, but the will to prepare to succeed. It's not about the will to succeed, but the will to prepare to succeed. Because all of us, it's easy to have the will to succeed, to say we want to succeed, to say we want to see something happen Do we have the will to prepare for what we want to see happen actually come into reality? And I'll tell you, there were many, many weeks I did not have that will to practice 10 hours. And guess what? It showed up. There was this one line he used every time I went in for a piano lesson and I did not do well to the level he knew my potential was, and he would say this every time. He would see, I would play, and he would say, okay, I see where you're going with this. And every time, he would say that I knew. Fail. (laughs) Fail. Man. Um, Because I did not have the will to prepare. I wanted to succeed, but I didn't have the will to prepare. For years, the popular opinion or the unspoken rule in many, many churches is that the pastor is the one hired to do the work or pastors are the ones hired to do the work of the ministry in the church and everyone else in the church are just helpers. 
How many of you ever heard of the 80-20 rule in ministry? Right? 80% of the people do, or 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And whether it's spoken or unspoken, that's how many churches operate. The pastor, you're the one getting paid. You're the one that should be doing most of the work. You're the minister. So you go and do ministry. And many, many of our churches have become performers and spectators. We come to church, we sit in our seat, and we watch what happens on the stage. And then we leave and we go about our week and we come back next Sunday. And we all know that is not God's design for his bride, right? What is the responsibility of pastors and leaders in the church? Ephesians 4, it's on the screen. You read it with me. And he, meaning Jesus, has appointed some with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. Who's the one enlarging and building up the body of Christ? It's not the pastor's. It's not the leaders, it's the church. Capital C Church. We need to shift this paradigm. And Leslie and I, we really feel like at Lifeway, this has already begun to happen. That it's not just the pastors are the ones doing the work. But this mentality and this culture is already being created. We've we've been doing this, but we can definitely do it better. Pastors are not modern-day priests. Listen to me. Pastors are not modern-day priests. We, the church, capital C, every one of us together, are a kingdom of priests who the Holy Spirit indwells to fulfill the mission of God here on planet Earth. You are a priest. I am a priest. Not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a follower of Jesus. Check the screens, read this with me. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation. Okay, this isn't at a church leaders conference that they're saying this. This is the body of Christ, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Love how the Passion Translation puts it this way. But you are God's chosen treasure. Do you know what the word treasure means in the Hebrew? That word treasure right there means guarded wealth. It means like the king, his most valuable possessions and most valued treasure would be secluded somewhere in a room that would be permanently guarded because it was so valuable. And that's how God sees you. You are his guarded treasure. Priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would 
broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Why did he do it? Why did we celebrate and remember the sacrifice of Jesus this morning? Ultimately, so that we could broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. We have a role to play. We have a part to play in this kingdom. A teacher is a priest. And teaching is what she does to support her priesthood. An electrician is a priest. His profession is what he does to support his priesthood. A farmer is a priest. A stay-at-home mom is a priest. We are all priests. Every follower of Jesus is part of a royal nation and is called to full-time ministry. High school students, middle school students, you are priests. And now that's a weird way to look at it. But we are all part of a royal nation called to full-time ministry because ministry is not an occupation. Ministry is a lifestyle for everybody, not just paid pastors. We get to equip and train and prepare. But that's not what makes us a minister. We're all ministers. We're all priests. We have to develop that mentality and understand our identity as sons and daughters We are co-heirs with Christ. We are priests and priestesses. I don't even know if that's a word. We'll just go with priests. Should we gather? I feel like we need to laugh. We're going to break right here. I hope this isn't inappropriate, but um, I don't care if it is. That's okay. I heard, you know, an older gentleman tell a joke one time, and he said, I feel like cremation is my last great attempt for a smoking hot body. There we go. Okay, back to the message. Amen. So should we gather together as the church with our primary motivation being that we get ministered to or us ministering to others. Now think about that, because this is shifting how we've done church for decades and centuries. Because we have to step out of the mentality that church is a place we go to, church is a something we are. We're not going to church, we're going to gather with the church. And it's not just somewhere we need to go to be ministered to, but do we come with the primary motivation being we get to minister to others. We get to celebrate others' victories. We get to encourage someone who's struggling. We get to weep with someone who's mourning. We get to lead someone to Jesus who's lost. Because we can never come here with the assumption that we're all saved. This should be the place where the hurting and the lost and the broken come no matter how they smell, no matter how they talk, no matter how they look. And they're going to step into this place and be loved. Priests, if you read through the Old Testament, priests did not come to the temple to be blessed, but to minister and serve. Now, please understand, I'm not saying by any means it's wrong or it's prideful to desire God's blessing. And God 
never desires to withhold his goodness from us. But when our motivation becomes more about what we get rather than what we give, we violated our mandate as priests. Nowhere do you see that in scripture. That come, come together so that you can feel better about yourself, so that you can receive more. It's about us giving, seeing others for who they are, and sowing the love of Christ into every person. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are called to be priests who are overflowing with the love, forgiveness, and power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say that some of this material that we're using today um, is coming from a book called um, Spirit and Power Church by Alton Garrison. And so we never, ever want to take any credit for things that we say that they're, this is all us because it's not. Leslie and I, we're being poured into on a weekly basis from pastors and leaders. Um, you know, we listen to podcasts, we read books, we study, we dig deeper because that's what we're supposed to do. And um, we're getting a lot of what we share today, some of it from that book. Um, where was I? Okay. Blessed to be a blessing. Called to be priests who are overflowing with the love, the forgiveness, and power of the Spirit. Okay, here we go. Ready for this? You ready? Say yes. Okay, here we go. Here's the paradigm shift. The people of the church do not exist to help the pastors accomplish their mission. The pastors exist to help the people of the church accomplish the mission that God has given to each one of them. Good job, Travis. Good work. That's good. Amen. Praise God. Daniel said if she didn't have a baby sleeping on her arm, she would have been clapping. Do you get that? Talk about a paradigm shift. Talk about something that not many pastors would stand up in front of you and say, I'm going to, I'm going to say it again because it's that good. And somebody asked if I'd say it again. The, what did I say? <laughs> the, I'm good. We're here. The people of the church do not exist to help the pastors accomplish their vision. The pastors exist to help the church accomplish the mission God has given to each one of them. And that mission, yeah, there we go. That's right. Uh, that's funny. And that mission, we're all different, right? That the details of that mission can be different for every single person. No one's, no one's mission is identically the same. But there is one thing that remains the same, and that's the Great Commission. No matter what our mission is on earth, we have been co-missioned, and it's a co-mission, us and Jesus, to reach this world and make disciples of all nations. So, so good. So I want to do something a little different. This is not our norm um, 
a, as a three-pointer sermon or anything like that, but this is different. But I, I want to bring someone to you today that made history. We were reading this book. We are doing this in our devotions um, right now, and we were reading this book this week, and it's called God is Good. And I read this section, and I reread this section, and I reread it, and I reread it, and I'm like, I've got to share this with them. You've got to hear this. The peanut paradigm. Okay, so now it all makes sense, right? We're coming back. Full circle, I promise. I want to tell you about a man who, against all odds, believed who he was in Christ and creatively influenced history. Creatively changed the economy. Creatively helped his people. George Washington Carver. Guys, if you've never studied about this guy, he is so cool. And I'm going to botch giving you all the facts, but I'm going to do my best to tell you who he is. He is a son of two slaves. Both passed away before he could know them. He lived on a farm. His parents ended up on a farm that they didn't believe in slavery but needed help working their farm in the middle of the Deep South. He was kidnapped from that farm as a baby, him and his mom and his sisters, and he was the only one recovered. They sent, they sent their best horse to trade for him. They got him back. They raised him on their farm. He had sickness. He was, he was not the strongest, so he had the freedom to learn. So George said, yes, I'm going to learn everything I can. He was hungry. He wanted to know everything about everything, and especially about nature. So he went out, and he, he became a world changer. In a season when his people were enslaved, in a season where his people were beaten, in a season where his people were not free, he decided, I don't care what is happening around me. I know who I am, and I am going to choose freedom for myself, freedom of the mind. No one can stop me from learning. Right? Oh, my goodness, there's so much here. I'm going to read this to you in a second, but just to introduce you with a couple of his quotes. There's literally nothing that I ever asked to do that I asked the blessed creator to help me do that I have not been able to accomplish. George Washington Carver. There's literally nothing I've ever asked to do that I asked the blessed creator to help me do that I did not accomplish. What do you want to do? What is in your heart? Who do you need to ask? And you will accomplish it, right? That's what he's saying. This is my favorite one, okay? When I was young... I said to God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me. I love that. 
Our creator is the same and never changes despite the names given him by people in all parts of the world. Even if we gave him no name at all, he would still be there within us, waiting to give us good on this earth. This is a man who has watched his people die, who's watched his people be, he himself was kidnapped. He's watched the worst of the worst happen in the land. And what does he say he is going to see? The goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Waiting to give us good on this earth. Since new developments are the products of a creative mind, we must therefore stimulate and encourage that type of mind in every possible way. And then my last one. I like to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we only tune in. While I was studying about him this week, I read that he would go into the woods to hear from God. That was the place that he, it gives me the chills, that was the place that he heard him the loudest in his creation. God is speaking. He is broadcasting. We just have to open our eyes and say, what do you want to say? What do you have for me today? What am I holding in my hands that I can give to you and you can make something out of? All right, I'm going to read this. One-handed here. Yes, this is, the, this is the elementary school teacher and me coming out. I will show you the pictures. There are no pictures. Okay. <laughs> George Washington Carver used this drive. Wait, I'm going to go back. Here we go. History is filled with the stories of explorers and their adventures, whether it's the quest of Columbus to go where no European had gone before or the astronauts who travel through space or the intellectual curious of our day exploring the depths of science, medicine, and technology. We have been given the divine, I'm sorry, we have been given the drive to search for more. God invites us into these quests as a part of our God-given nature to discover and create. His gift of curiosity and desire are beautiful expressions of his heart as a father. George Washington Carver used this drive to discover things that would ultimately help the poor he lived to serve. His passion to unveil the secrets of creation began with his research on the peanut. He was known for his absolute faith in God as the cornerstone of his research and is credited with discovering over 300 uses for the peanut. He claimed that it was faith that held all inquiry and action accountable. The impact of his research reached far and wide but his primary target was to benefit the poor. As a result, this one man is credited with having an amazing impact on the economy of the southern states in the U.S. 
All because he believed, God rewards those who seek him. He's the first African-American to hold a bachelor's degree in science. Wow. I don't know. There's just something about the history of the overcomer that gets me wanting to overcome. The reason why he chose the peanut is because in the South, the crops that they were growing frequently were cotton. They didn't change out. And he did a lot of research and he set the stage. He set the stage. He built a cart that he went around and he taught farmers how to rotate their crops so that they wouldn't deplete the soil, so that they would get good crops. He didn't have to do that, guys. He went, he went back to the South to the place where he was broken, to the place where he saw his family, his friends, his people broken. He went back and said, I want to make this better. I want to be an element of change. I want my families. I want my people fed. I want the economy to change. I, I am going to be a catalyst for change. Do you hear the gospel in that? He didn't just, he wasn't just a creative inventor. He was even asked to go be with Thomas Edison for a while. For me, I mean, that's impressive. I don't know if U.S. history impresses you, but it impresses me. Because we are where we are today because of these inventors. This guy was the real deal. But his heart always went back to the poor. His heart always went back to those in need. Those in, in dire circumstances. And because he committed himself passionately and he pursued passionately what God had gifted him in, his knowledge of nature, he pursued it with a fire. And with a peanut, he changed the economy. His favorite verse is Psalms 121, 1 through 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. For where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. How do we do what he's calling us to do? We lift our eyes. We keep our eyes fixed. We have an intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We listen and we move and I am telling you, each one of you has a peanut inside of you. <laughs> it's true. Each one of you has something so good, so divine, so creative that you literally... I mean, how many of you want to just exist and say, okay, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just be here? Or how many of you want to see things change? How many of you want to see your entire family know Jesus from generation to generation to generation to generation?
power is in your hands. The resurrection power is in you. The dreams are in you. You may think about yourself and think, I have nothing to offer. That's the enemy lying to you. What is your peanut? Because you're a royal priest, priestess. And you have the power to affect the poor. You have the power to affect the need in this county. You think, I don't have the money. I don't have this. I don't, I'm telling you, you have a father that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You have everything you need. I promise. If you just say yes, okay, Jesus, what's my peanut? What do you want me to do? Or maybe you already know what it is and you've not been moving on it. You already know what God has designed you to do, gifted you to do, and you've been just holding on to it. And he says, it's time. It's time. Don't waste it. This is an individual thing, but it's also a unity of the body thing. We've been doing the way for the last year and it has produced amazing heart in people to do and, and have their being and become that royal priesthood. And I encourage you, if you haven't gotten to go to the way and you're still struggling with what is my calling, what is my gifting, that's a good place to start. But I, I actually, I, that's a second place to start. The first place to start is on your knees with Jesus or walking in the woods, wherever he speaks to you, whatever speaks to you most. It's an intimate relationship. If you're walking down the street, if you're gardening at your house, if you're going to the grocery store, if you're shopping at Goodwill, amen, sister. Whatever you're doing and you're saying, I I want to hear you. What do I do now? What do I say now? What's my peanut? How do I feed the nations? How do I change the situation in my neighborhood where I see someone suffering? How do I go to that trailer park and make a difference and they know that Jesus loves them? They know that, that believers in Jesus are not just Christians who judge, but that, that that is washed away. That impression is gone and the impression of the love of God overwhelms people. Will you stand with me? Do you guys feel encouraged this morning? Because I hope that, that it's a sense of encouragement that you know that you hold something special. And let me tell you that if it's loving your grandchildren, teaching your children, working in that factory one more day, building another pair of steps, Going to work in the army, thank you for your service. And I may have said the wrong branch, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Going and working in the veteran's office and making a difference in one person's life every day. Going to work at the bank and helping someone figure out how to balance their budget. Delivering the word if I knew all of your careers and all of what God is doing, this isn't you coming to church and figuring out something to do. This is you being you right where you are, right where he has placed you. This is you saying, yes, this is what I'm stepping into. This is my calling, or I've already stepped in. Keep going. Keep telling me more. Keep telling me what to do next. I'm embracing it not just as a job. I'm embracing it not just as something I have to do, but this is my ministry. This is my opportunity to see the blind eyes open, to see the deaf hear, 
to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is why we are here. And we keep talking about Ohio for Jesus. We keep talking about the, it's going to happen, guys. It is absolutely going to happen. Are we going to be in, in that vein? I feel like it's like jumping in the river. Are you ready to jump in? Are you already in and you feel like you're floundering? Jesus has more for you and he is ready to show you what your peanut is or to expand. I know I keep going back to that. I think it's funny. It's good. God took what he had and he said, what do you want me to do with it? And he gifted him and he empowered him. So I want you to put your hands out right now. Travis is going to sing a song, but put your hands out just like this. Thanks, Dylan. I appreciate it. (laughs) Put your hands out just like this. And I want you to just step into a place of intimacy with Father right now and say, God, what do you have for me to do? He's going to give you creative dreams, and you're going to think that's impossible. I want you to step out of that mindset and step into the mindset that everything is possible. Nothing is impossible with him. What do you have for me to do?